Welcome to the latest episode of Platform. Today, we're going to be speaking to Jake Ely. Now, most people know Jake as the owner of Local Skates, but way before that, he was actually a sponsored skater for K2 and appeared in Unity magazine loads of times. Uh, I think he was in DNA as well and a bunch of British videos. He started Local fairly early in his life like i'm pretty sure he was in his mid-20s when he started the shop and obviously it's grown to be one of the most respected and loved shops in the world they have sponsored some of the best skaters out there over the years and done collaborations with valo roses undercover and most recently usd skates in addition to running the shop, Jake has also started his own brands. So he started Go Project, which has released wheels and bearings and other accessories. And most recently, he started Revolver Wheels, which was launched last year. And most of the wheels sold out like pretty quickly because everyone was getting into skating again because of coronavirus. So Jake is in the unique position where he can see both sides of the industry. So he can see it from the skater's perspective because he was a sponsored skater at one point and he can see it as a shop owner and a company owner. So just want to talk to him about that, about his views on the industry and how skaters are treated and what they get in return for their efforts and just how relationships sometimes break down between the skater and the sponsor. Also want to talk to him about the shop the brands that he runs and yeah just pick his brains about where he thinks the sport's going how he thinks it's doing and what he believes we can expect in the future before that though cue the music How you doing, you right? I'm good. So I've kept you in the shop for a late night. I feel kind of guilty about this. No, because um, I wasn't here. I just came here because I live in a bungalow and right. uh, I've got a tiny baby. And whatever volume you speak at when you've got a tiny baby in yeah. a bungalow, it pretty much wakes it up. So I remember those yeah. days well. How old is she now? She's uh, 17 months. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ours didn't sleep through the night for the first year. So like as in Riff did not could not go an entire night without waking up screaming for over twelve months. It was Yeah. Well I'm on seventeen months. I'm on seventeen. So yeah, it's uh yeah, we we still haven't had a sleep through the night yet. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty techers, man. That'll that'll age you. So weirdly, we moved house not that long ago and I stumbled upon some uh, Jake Ely memorabilia. All right. Have we started the podcast? Is it, does, it, does it start at the beginning of the Zoom call? All of them start at the beginning, apart from the bit where you messed up with the mic for about five minutes. Uh, I was going to say, don't keep that bit in. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Are you ready for oh, this? Do you remember your days as a Calvin Klein model? Oh, fuck off, man. Come on. Oh, no, I like it, yeah. Who's that handsome bugger? And... I like the Calvin showing. <laughs> My other favourite um, part is the fish brain and backslide. I yeah, was always but very, with, very jealous of that white rail. That looked like the perfect rail. And I was like, why don't we have these up in Scotland? 
Yeah. Well, we only skated that once, I think. That was the only time we skated that rail ever. So I think it was a kink rail and you had to do the run up on the on the flat bit between the kinks. So the fork, right. So that's why the photo's sense. at the shot at the top, so you can't see the the rest of the rail. Yeah. Right, got you. Yeah, no, the Calvin Klein shoot was uh Chris Hallam. He was at uni in Bournemouth and uh, he had access to a studio and we were like 18 years old so we were we were like yeah let's go in the studio shoot studio shots make it all pro yeah yeah fucking came out like that didn't it yeah I like the sideways belt as well the buckle at the side <laughs> that was I'm pretty sure everyone went through that phase at some point in their life I'm just glad it wasn't documented I still do that now it, okay. like, it doesn't it doesn't dig in I yeah that's a sideways true. belt yeah. yeah hey um you see the bit at the beginning of the podcast should we call this a podcast let's sure. call it a podcast where you show the the clips of the skaters and you find yeah clips yeah did you find did you find clips did i find clips of you yeah i mean yeah. i mean you're you're joking there's there's plenty to choose from uh, I'm quite excited to see the 2021 Jake Ely section. I'm, I'm going to bring it all the way from K2 right up to right up to them skates. So I'm going to yeah. Oh, good. Um, good. Yeah, there's loads to shoot. Like even since you started local, you've brought out several sections. Yeah, I think no, I think it's two. And yeah, which is and then like lots of footage in between of like product reviews and stuff like that. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, like, there's yeah, there's yeah. still skate footage to choose from, and then there's yeah, all the yeah. old Chris and Ollie videos and everything else that was that's still floating around the internet. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I can't even remember them all. Yeah, but there's there's a lot. Oh, with the EF and E two F footage. Yeah, I bet you didn't find that. I've got the I've got one of them on. I've got the second one on uh, on VHS. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it would have been. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but I EF, bet you didn't. EF one's bet... online. Yeah, it's really hard to find though. It's like named something really weird on YouTube. I tried to find it the other day, and I couldn't actually couldn't get to it. There's also but it is there somewhere. Where's the? There's a video as well with you guys in it, and I'm pretty sure it's the one where you get stopped by the police for apparently having a gun in the car. What video is that in? Uh, that's EF one, I think. Yeah. Is that what that? So, yeah. I, I've yeah. seen, I watched that on YouTube like less than a year ago. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is there, yeah, we had a, a BB gun and I think uh, we had two cars and it was, I think it was Leon Humphreys in the other car and me in, in my car. And again, like 17 years old, we're kind of driving around London Yeah. with FUBU hoodies on just being kind of middle class and uh, not very gangster at all. And uh, <laughs> and we had BB, I don't know why we had, I can't remember why we had BB guns. We were just pissing about, I don't know. And uh, yeah, got got pulled over the petrol station and uh, got fully, uh, full sting by the cops. That's, that's quite funny because in the <laughs> intro to that interview that I just read while I was waiting for you to get ready, it's James Aldred talking about you messing about with that gun and apparently you pulled it on a guy that like threatened you or was like being a <laughs> Dude, bit road rage in a car what you're talking about is the the unity magazine intro to the, yeah. to the profile yeah uh, yeah that's completely fabricated it's a total uh, lie yeah see i always i always thought you were a bit too sensible for that but yeah um 
I also like the fact that he outs you for having an, addic- uh, an addiction to pornography, which is what every young boy wants to be outed for. Yeah, that's again, that's man, all lies. <laughs> <laughs> but um, James Aldred, Jim used to um, do that because he would write those little pieces for Unity magazine back in the day. And yeah, every so often it was just uh, he would just completely fabricate something and. Uh, just to make it more interesting. So, like, if you go back and read those Unity magazines and some of the intros to uh, people's profiles, then uh, yeah, don't you know, take it with a pinch of salt. That is quite funny because it is like that's like an abuse of power because so many people used to read those back in the day, and that was literally the only way you knew about a skater in the UK because it was before social media, and there weren't even that many videos about. So, yeah, well, for for the listeners, I, I think the story was at, at the front of that magazine was that at the front of my profile was that there was a kind of road rage incident or something, yeah. at, at a red light, and I'd uh, pulled out a BB gun and kind of cocked it through the window and pointed it into um, the cab of a of a lorry or something, <laughs> and he'd run the red yeah. light. <laughs> even reading it doesn't make sense because i'm like if you're in the driver's side and you're threatening another guy who's in the driver's side you'd have to reach over the passenger that doesn't make wow that doesn't make sense you know the sacrifices you make for uh, threatening people with guns no That's yeah it's not fun. true yeah okay cool um yeah weirdly for about the last I'm going to say two or three years of Unity, I ghost wrote like so many of the articles because someone would submit it and the text would just be absolutely dreadful. And I was living in yeah. Korea and Steve would send me that and be like, can you make this just legible? Like, Oh, really? There's a John Julio one where someone had wrote a massive like intro piece to it. And he was like, I can't, I can't use this. It just doesn't make any sense. So I just rewrote it and submitted it, but it still had that person's name under it as if they'd done it. So yeah, and there was just so well, many of those. Unity magazine was um, run by children, really, wasn't it? I mean, apart from Glidewell, uh, who was editing it, the, the contributors were generally kind of Pretty much, late yeah. teens. And uh, yeah, I think I think if you were to look back on those magazines, I think it would be a difficult read. Yeah, sometimes. there's I've got a box of what's left, and I, I can't actually bring myself to read through them because even no. you know, even the ones that I wrote, I'm like, this is just going to cringe me out. Yeah. Um, yep. So last time we spoke, it was at Winter Clash. We did the shop panel together, and you were saying that Loco had had one of its best years the previous year. Was that right? It was something like that. Yeah. Only. Well, I think what I was saying is it's always gone up. Yeah. Apart from, well, actually, that isn't strictly true. 2017 to 18, we did a big loss in the shop, actually. We did a big old loss. But it was, what was a lot of. What happened? What do you mean? Do you know what was like the contributor to what, that? Or Yeah, yeah. It was, um, we did a lot of infrastructure. So we kind of moved to this warehouse where I am now. Right. And uh, we started a new website, which is costly. And then. Uh, yeah, the, the website company who were doing the website for us were the worst. And so they just they just delayed the website for a year. And we we, we were running like two expensive stock systems at the same time. Um, and you couldn't launch one until the website was launched. So we were paying for two stock systems. And like all these little factors um, that, yeah, they it all added up. We, we did a bit of a loss. But generally, it's been upward... And uh, yeah, that and was last year as well. 
the resulting website's amazing because I don't know any other shops that you can hover over an image and see what sizes are available and stuff like that. Dude, we do. We actually do a lot of custom coding, um, and we do a lot of that stuff. To yeah, it's not just a kind of you know, just kind of buy a website off the shelf. Yeah, and um, and do that thing. We 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 there's quite a few features on that website which we kind of built from scratch. And I've got a guy in Vietnam who's really, really good at uh, web coding, at, at liquid code. And uh, yeah, he does a lot of that stuff for us. It's really useful. I did think that I was like, I imagined a lot of that input was yours or like the thing, because you strike me as the kind of person that just checks it all the time and goes, oh, what about this? Do I not like, or what do I think could function more smoothly? So I didn't. I didn't think it yeah. was just a company that went, oh, this is how we'll improve your website. I thought you'd gone to someone and went, I need yeah. the site to do this, this, and this. Yeah, we don't have a company doing the website anymore. We just do it with my guy in Vietnam and me and um, and Max over here who sits next to me. And yeah, there's like every week there's something else that you'll notice. You'll say, no, that isn't quite right. And you'll build something else and you'll fix another problem and, there's a lot of that. We have a we have kind of a like a Trello. Do you ever use Trello like a Trello board, which is like it's just software where you put ideas down and and then the person on the other end just kind of actions those ideas and um, it's like constant. It's constantly running where we're kind of adding ideas to add things to the website and and uh, finding solutions for them. Nice. I like that. Sounds very corporate and like progressive. I don't think I can't think of. It's proper, yeah. Yeah, I can't think of any other <laughs> skate companies or shops that are doing that. Yeah, our website, my website, is just a piece of garbage. Um, yeah, but you got to think it is. You know, it's full time. Yeah, we're a full time job, and we sit here every day, Monday to Friday, and and then at home more, and then evenings and weekends, and uh, it's constant. You know, it's like it is. Uh, I feel like a. I still feel like a little kid who, little skater kid, but at the same time, like it's definitely a proper business now. And it, yeah. I mean, of course, like you've got, <laughs> you've got like a payroll, you've got people who depend on you for income. So of course it's a proper business. Yeah. It just feels, yeah. It feels weird sometimes because I still kind of see, see myself as a 21 year old sat by myself in a kind of little lockup shop kind of waiting for people to come in you know so yeah it's yeah it surprises me we're, we're gonna circle back to that because there are a couple of things i want to know about the very beginning but yeah so when we last spoke you said things were only getting better and better and then obviously shortly after winter clash covid hit and one of my first thoughts was right the industry's screwed like we're already kind of fragile as it is companies come and go all the time like a year doesn't pass without several companies dying. And then it felt, and then it just went in the complete opposite direction. Whenever you looked on social media, it was just exploding when new people just every day being like, oh, I'm picking up skates again because all these people had free time. And then I've got this weird thing where I'll check like skate shops just to see, how, like you can generally see how their stock's doing by what's available. And then I just noticed you just random, like very quickly just started running out of like stock and so many skates or I remember you put those flying eagle skates up and then within like it was something like two days they were all gone like literally all the sizes and I was like that's just insane and like yeah Derek Henderson skates and them skates and they were just it felt it looked like from an outsider's perspective they were just flying off the shelves yeah 
Yeah, it was bananas, man. It was um, it was interesting. Yeah, the beginning of COVID because it. Sorry. We we thought the same thing. We thought, oh bloody, hell, we got to shut the shop. And excuse me. We thought we got to shut the shop, and you know that's going to be fifteen twenty percent of our income gone. And then I don't know. Everyone's going to be out of work. No one's going to buy skates. But then you get this government grant for being like a brick and mortar shop as well. So the government come and just give you a chunk of money, which is quite nice. 25 grand, which is like, they did really well. But I mean, it sounds like a lot just to come and give a business like that. But, you know, when you are shut for four months and you have a, a shop that, that does probably just about cover it. Um, but then at the same time, like sales were taking off as well. So it was, yeah, it was bananas, man. It was really, yeah, I'd try, it's, there's too much to talk about. I, I can't, you know, condense it all into kind of a sentence because there's just so much that went on at that time. It was just, uh, yeah, the craziness is quite undescribable. That's good because I've got specific things I want to ask anyway. Good. What, what I was curious about was it felt like a lot of products shifted really quickly. What I was curious about and you must know off the top of your head because even you must have been surprised by how fast they went like which products just were sold basically before they even arrived at the shop because it felt like it felt like some were out of stock before like as soon as they were listed yeah um i remember specifically well i remember how many voices skates we voices m12 the cheap ones that we bought over that period but that was a good one because those were actually available for quite a long time through that period they were one of the only items that were coming back into stock but we saw just like just it was crazy and then uh seba not seba fr like a 80 millimeter version frx skates like 120 150 pound uh recreational freestyle skate and, oh the one with like the open shell at the top thing that one yeah they were just um I don't know. I think we posted a picture of like a delivery at the time, which was all FRX skates. It was like, I think it might have been 50 grand's worth of skates arrived at once. And we were like, bloody hell, that's, that's quite a, it's quite an ask to sell that. And then four weeks later they were gone. Because everyone suddenly got into free skating because they couldn't yeah. go to the skate park. Yeah. I mean, all types of skating, it was all, it was all equal. I think there was, um, and obviously the quad, the, the roller skating thing really took off. I mean that more so than than rollerblading, uh, but yeah, aggressive as well as freestyle. They were all like kind of equally taken off. But we ran out of aggressive stock first. It was yeah. harder to get aggressive stock, and like there was yeah, you know, come June, I think July, you just you couldn't really buy anything. Had there ever been a point in the shop's history until then that you'd been going, like you'd been selling skates so quickly? No, no. Uh, we, so. That- so it, it's interesting because we were we were waiting for this boom to happen and we were talking about this boom for years. I'd always like speculated that there was gonna be uh, I was trying to do like the, the maths so that you know, try and work out like okay, so like rollerblading was really big in nineteen ninety six and then like the average age of a rollerblader was like thirteen. So like how does like this cycle work? Like like uh, you know, when does the next generation come along? Like how how at what point does it become uncool? And then become cool again 
you know, probably like skateboarding did or like lots of uh, other sports that had a second boom. And so we were speculating this for, for ages and I always had a plan that there would be a second boom. And that's exactly why we did all that infrastructure work in 2017, moving here, like doing loads of automation with the website, making sure everything just ran itself. And, but yeah, never did I think that it would come in the form of a pandemic. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone could have foresaw that coming, but it, it, when you step back from it and look at it, it does make sense when you've got all these older people with disposable incomes that have no free time. And that's most people's argument for no longer skating. They're like, oh, I've got yeah. kids or I've got a job or I just have too many responsibilities. And then all of a sudden, there's just all these people with nothing but free time. And the last time they remember having free time, they skated. Yeah. So they just default to what they did when, yeah, they had disposable hours in the day. So, yeah, yeah. For I, aggressive, it's all it's all kind of thirties, those are mid thirties. People coming back to it that used to do it. I mean, almost without exception. I was about to say, the, does does your website have any way of like tracking ages and stuff like that, or is that like because I've there's obviously like analytics things that show well it shows you could do it you could do it on google yeah you could do like a google analytics on your average user and like i have a person who works on a kind of google adwords who like yeah i could i don't know what it is but yeah if you asked her she would say she would just go into it and say yeah you know here's the age she's she's you know this this much percent female this much percent male um but yeah i yeah i expect it's like 90 percent men in their 30s yeah. doing aggressive skating um yeah probably i discovered yeah. during the week that women don't use youtube because, or must just not watch it because th throughout all the podcasts it's 100 percent male on youtube but then when you go into like uh, streaming uh, like other services like uh, spotify and itunes there's a significant increase in the number of women that use that so they must just like listen to podcasts you, in their headphones maybe it's something to do with your look maybe that's it's because they can see true. you on youtube I'm, I'm, and they just switch off i'm not aesthetically pleasing although uh, a couple of the guys did did joke that their girlfriends had listened to the podcast and are like he's got a really soothing voice and i was like oh yeah that's, yeah, that's yeah. Nice. um and people have started slagging me off saying i can host my own jazz radio show so those people can go and fuck themselves well um, dude I, I like i like the dulcet scottish tones actually i did notice that you were like speaking very calmly like kind of channeling this this calm voice and i wondered whether it's because you've got a baby asleep next door as well she's four and a half now but yeah she, oh, still, okay. she still doesn't sleep through the night she will still wake up uh at like two or three in the morning and be like can i have a glass of water i'm like just go to hell just like no go to sleep yeah okay so so it's just your that's natural just, that's just my sexy voice, voice. Yeah. yeah um so what i was wanting to ask is obviously you had like the boom during coronavirus and stuff like that how has that worked in terms of maintaining since then has it has it stayed at that or has it dropped off dramatically or what's what's right. been the pattern since then so this the stats go something like april 300 percent up and when i say 300 percent up i mean on the year before yeah for that month and then April, May, 400% up. Uh, April, May, June. June, somewhere around 400 to it's between 300 and 400. Then kind of drop down 300, then 250. And we're, we're sitting now about double what we, what we were doing 
in the same okay. month of last year. So it has kind of like evened out to a certain degree, but still better than it was. Well, it's double. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, that's what yeah. Um, like it's no longer crazy, but it's still better than previously. Yeah, but it's also double with hardly any stock available as well. That's what I wanted to ask. So obviously it's great when stuff flies out the shop really quickly because then you're like, oh, we're getting our investment back. You know, that's, that's the you know, you spend money on stock and then you're recouping it with sales. But when that stuff sells out so quickly and then you have issues with getting new stock in, what impact does that have on the business? Yeah, massively. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. You, you can't sell as much <laughs> but like but i would I imagine mean, you, like, it, it's a balance between it's a balance between cash in the bank isn't it and uh, stock in your warehouse so what we had after like that first coronavirus boom was a big old bank account and an empty warehouse and it's always this kind of cash flow balance um but yeah like the no no business is good with an empty warehouse and um especially when you're taking pre-orders for things as well. And you've got to kind of depend on companies coming through, which they, you know, there's a lot of unreliable companies who are bringing up skates who are, who are late, you know, with that stuff. So yeah, it's not ideal. And I'm guessing you were able to keep paying the staff because they could just package and ship orders or how, how did that work when the shop was shut in terms of like what was able to happen with employees? Well, yeah, because we were so busy online yeah. that we were just, we were just, yeah, we were employing more people. We had like, you know, like two or three other people coming in, just freelance, um, just packing up, just like three or four of us packing at a time, uh, just getting as much stuff out the door as possible. But do you mean like when you run out of stock, how do you deal with that? I just, I mean, in terms of both, like obviously when you had to shut the shop, you said, you know, you were worried because you weren't getting the sales that you would get when people come into the physical location, but it seems like the staff were kept just as busy because yeah, no, online it orders in the end. increased. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, a problem in the end. The good, just cause we were so busy. So it was fine. I have a, I've got another shop, um, which isn't a skate shop. The homeware shop. Have, yeah. Was, we have like a lifestyle we've, shop. We've, we've got some red wine glasses from you. We've got the, the see-through ones, the, the, oh, did one, you? the double layer glass ones. Kinto. Yes, Kinto that's the glasses. one. Yeah, the yeah. ones that you can hold and they don't heat up. Yep. Oh, nice. I didn't know. I didn't what's, know you ordered. What's it called? Uh, <coughs> I can't remember. Goods, isn't it? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah goods. Yeah. 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 But th I mean, that's been a problem because it's just a high street store and the website is like, a, you know, it's, we don't do much through the website with that shop. So we quite we surprised just, we're by just that. Doing, okay. Yeah, well, we don't have a lot of time and the website's not as good as it should be. So it's not very up to date and it should, it just should be better. It's just not, a, it's not a great example of a website. And, um, we do most, most of the business through the shop and so the shops had to close. So like, I've got to see what it's like from the other side for a lot of businesses out there who are struggling, who've had to shut and yeah, it's, uh, for just costly. Yeah. It's not, it's not yeah. great. The regular high street shop. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is fair enough. I, I was... mean, they, they give you a grant as well at the beginning. and But then, like, the thing is, like, a shop in, you know, Glasgow on, you know, an out-of-town street would get... get... Glasgow is probably a bad example because it's probably a different 
government. So a shop in like Yorkshire that's out of town might get the same grant as we do in the south of England, you know, on a on an expensive high street because where we are is an expensive high street. Yeah. So there's no accounting for like this, you know, the running costs of those businesses. And um, yeah, the, these second and third lock, lockdowns have been super costly because the uh, the grants they give they don't they don't cover your costs really. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So when you said like when the shop was closed that you thought our business did go down twenty percent, did you have a lot of walk-in custom? Because am I right in thinking that you guys run like an industrial estate or some kind of? Yeah, but people it- travel. Right. Okay. Like we've got to this this stage now where it, it's been really good, like the you know shop wise, brick and mortar wise, where people were coming to us and coming from a long distance away, and those are the best sort of customers, I think, because you don't get kind of dickheads coming in off the street. Um, when you're in a in a high street, you kind of get, you know, the, the crowd you attract there is not necessarily that interested in skating. Sometimes, They'll come in and try and nick a hat or something. Yeah, there is. Uh, but it's great out here because we have um, we have a really good relationship with the customers, and and any time someone comes in, especially if they've travelled, you always like having quite a nice time serving those customers because they're all skaters, they're all nice people. They've travelled. They, I think they maybe because they know of the shop and they've they were willing to come all that way. They maybe respect the shop, so you get respectful, nice customers. It's really good. Like it's a nice like I I always like to work on Saturdays because you just get to interact with more people. So I'll always rotate myself on on a Saturday in the shop just because it's nice to be there, you know, and meet people. And I'm sure the staff are grateful for that because they're like, sweet, I'm going to get Saturday off because Jake Jake's happy to work that. that, that that's yeah. a mutually beneficial yeah, situation. Um, yeah, like Aston will have a Saturday off of his weekend. So he's doing a nine to five, you know, retail job. Yeah. You know, so is, so is Joe, so is Max. It usually just be me and Harry in the shop on a Saturday. So yeah, you got to feel bad for Harry because he's uh, he's slightly introverted as well. He said this the other day. So he's like working in a customer-facing role isn't the ideal thing for him. He's really good at it. He hides it really well. But he says he he's really exhausted at the end of the day because you know as an introvert, speaking to people all day is quite a difficult thing. You know. Uh, that is quite. I've always found that quite interesting about Harry because he's he's a bit of a contradiction in that terms because he's very opinionated and he's got a very like cutting, scathing sense of humour. Like I can, he's very sarcastic on, especially in his presence online. So you would assume when you met him in real life that he'd be pretty much the same, but then you meet him in real life and he's very quiet and polite, and you can tell that he just doesn't really like want to interact with strangers that much. <laughs> but from from some of the stuff that I've just read, like. Or videos he's posted or he's very good at like if someone criticizes him he cuts them down to size like very quickly in response and I always find stuff like that just very entertaining to look at yeah I think it'd be hard yeah it's hard to judge uh, online personas isn't it but yeah I remember Harry putting out videos before I knew Harry and yeah I think like I think I'd probably agree like my view of him might have been like slightly different to to knowing him um yeah, I wondered. Uh, yeah, yeah, like you say, like quite cutting. Yeah, but like and, uh, that's that's the type of like sense of humor that appeals to like all the guys up here just slag yeah. each other off all the time. That's that's just and when people come up, how he's amazing. Yeah, how he's uh, yeah, he's he's really really good here, man. He, like what he does is amazing. He's he's great. 
Well, Siri's just turned itself on. Plus, he is incredibly knowledgeable about all things to do with skating. It's not just aggressive. So, like, I imagine he can delve into, like, the the geek wormhole very easily with anyone that wants to do that. Yeah, what the guys are doing here, man, like Gaston and Howie, what they're doing here at Loco is um, as important as what I'm doing. Like they're doing this day-to-day job. They're like running the place, you know, on a day-to-day level more than I am, um, you know, in terms of like figuring out problems for people and speaking to customers and that sort of stuff. I'm a bit more behind the scenes these days, I guess. Yeah. And I don't mean I'm, I'm off. I just mean I'm doing like probably marketing a website stuff. Um, yeah, but what Gas and Harry do, like they're a really, really big part of Loco Skates. And there's loads of elements that people don't think about when it comes to doing a shop. Like, for example, you guys have always got some new project in the works or with your other brands, you've obviously got like product, you know, development and designing graphics and then, you know, marketing to go with that and all of that. I'm, I'm aware from just doing the magazine, I'm, it can quickly the hours can just add up to a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah. I mean, running the magazines, that's next level, dude. Like, I don't know. Yeah. That's, um, Oh yeah. I would never do it again. That was, that was (laughs) why, why I thought I could do that on my own was incredibly naive and misguided. Yeah. Dude, I was thinking about that though. The other day I was thinking about the magazine and I was thinking, fair play, man. That's like, that's really sick that you did that. Like it was a good magazine and you did it by yourself and you know, for like no money and you kept it going for a long time. Yeah. Weirdly, we, the last four issues actually broke even. It was just, we'd accumulated or I'd accumulated so much. uh, It had been in the business overdraft for so long that the bank were just like, no, you can't keep doing this. And I'm like, but you can clearly see in the last two years, this is making the money back. And they're like, yeah, but you're never going to, like, it's just paying off interest. You're not. So it just got to this point where it was an untenable situation. And I was like, yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Like it, I mean, anyone running a print magazine, yeah, you've got to, you've got to respect that. But yeah, you can't be, there can't be any money in that. It's, um, it's such a big workload for, for no money. Weirdly, it was like two, it was literally two one page adverts away from being profitable, like every issue. Damn, I so wish I'd paid you for those adverts if, now. If, if I could just have so, and but then there were so many other contributing factors because people would people would say they'd take an advert and then it would get to a week before print and you hadn't received the artwork and then they go, oh no, I've changed my mind and then you're like, cool. Not only have I lost a page of artwork, I now need to fill it with content. Yeah. So then you have to create another article, or or then someone would go, oh, I'll pay you, and then they'll take six months to pay you, and by that point you're getting charged interest, or yeah. people will pay you but then not the full amount. And because they know you can't take them to court, they so you start discovering which companies are run by people with ethics and people who will just try and get away with whatever they can. So yeah, there's there was a lot of very very steep learning curve moments where I was like, oh, that's how this works. So yeah, yeah, I don't envy you for that, man. It sounds um, like a difficult job. So with the big with a big stack of cash that you made in all these skates, when are you making the twenty to twenty five foot wide mini ramp in the the back of the warehouse? It's funny you should say that because um, we've got a little strip of land on the side of of the shop here, and we were going to concrete it and do a little street course, but then we realised that we've run out of space for stock, so we've got a forty foot container arriving there on Tuesday. So we're just going to you know 
put a bun bunch of junk in a container basically on the side of the building but i did just buy a house and i'm gonna build a skate park in the well i say a skate park i'm gonna build like the dream street spot in the back of the in the back garden of the house because the back garden needs re-landscaping right so it's gonna re-landscape it anyway just make it like a nice back garden and i thought well why not why not do like a nice little path with a curved concrete ledge i was about to say how, much, have a how little... much space do you have there if you can have the nice garden and the skate obstacles well it's a, it's a decent sized back garden it's okay right. it's 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 enough to it's not massive but it's enough that you could like landscape it nicely and like put a path for it and then have like a little curved ledge and then have like a little like i think i'll put a pool coping ledge in as well just just imagine you could just build whatever street spot you like and, and that's in your back garden that's that's great in theory but leon and i were talking about this in his episodes and he was like imagine you break yourself off and you're and you you've injured yourself in your back garden and obviously you and i both have partners and your partner comes home and she's like, Jake, what, like, why are you lying there? <laughs> You're like, bad slam, bad slam. <laughs> Just like <laughs> lying on the ground, motionless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need someone to be with me at all times for, for safety. So, I mean, yeah, you need yeah. either a spotter or you need to set up one of those, one of those like 24 hour webcams in the back garden that basically someone can have an eye on you. <laughs> she can be yeah. like, oh, man down, man down. Send or maybe help. maybe just only, only use the, 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 the skate park escape plaza when you've got friends around have a barbecue in the summer invite your mates around skate a ledge don't ever skate it again until your mates come around again all right i don't i'm not great at skating by myself anyway so it, it over time it's not being skated i can just sit there and uh, admire the nice garden admire it just look at look at look what i've made um you also started another venture last year a roller skating shop so there must be enough interest or market in that in order to, to facilitate doing that because we've got we've got a roller skate shop in Glasgow that uh, Sam Crofts comes up to to deliver stock for Power Slide and I was like and yeah I, and it's been going for a few years now so they must be they must be getting enough business to make it worthwhile having a physical shop presence. What's that shop called? Oh God, don't ask me. I, I don't know what it's called, but it's and it's in the city centre of Glasgow, so it can't be cheap. Um, although it's in a kind of rundown building, but it's it's literally two blocks from Central Station. Well, that industry's that's yeah, like I said earlier, that's bigger than blading. There's more sales of uh, like quad roller skates than there is blades. I think they're doing really well. Um, and well, what we did. I mean, we we've always been selling roller skates at Loco but just not particularly well. It, it was like, uh, you know, it was a bit of an afterthought. So, um, and Loco is very like masculine, I guess, as a website. Is it, I don't know, is it masculine? But it, it's, I don't know, it's not that friendly to maybe that scene. That scene is very female based. I would say it's quite a neutral looking website. I wouldn't say it was particularly, I wouldn't I say you mean get design, the impression really. of like, I yeah. don't mean in design, I mean in tone. I mean, okay. it's like, it's about being technical. It's like, it's boys' toys almost. Yeah. A little sure. bit in, in a funny way. And it's run by real men. So it, it doesn't seem very... <laughs> I think so, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
yeah, so to do roller skate shop and um, hold on my mental to do roller skate shop um, and just make something that looks a bit nice and is a bit more friendly and just has its own platform, you know. And also, that's the other thing. Why, like, like it, it definitely deserves that those two things. They're definitely different things, right? Roller blades and roller skates. I know that it seems that they maybe should be on the same website, but I don't think they should. I think there should be. I think they should, you know, I think, yeah, they're, they're just two, two really different scenes. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Like it's, I'm trying to think of like a suitable comparison, like, I don't know, skateboarding, snowboarding. Well, tennis or, and football, you know, you, yeah, you could, yeah, yeah you, you wouldn't go to a, well, you, you would go to a sports shop website, but wouldn't you rather buy your stuff from a, you know, a football dedicated website? Or from a, yeah, from a specialist because then, yeah. I think like it's a bit of a theory actually, like for me, I'm definitely, yeah, I'm definitely all about doing something that's like specific to that, um, that thing you're buying, you know, like, uh, you know, I definitely, if, if I turned up on a, on a website and it was, it was specialist roller skating and nothing else, I would trust that website more than a website that was selling out like, lots of different things. I would, I would definitely say there's legitimacy to that. Yeah. I bought, we've moved like slightly into the country and there's like hills and mountains nearby and some of my friends are into hill walking they were like oh you need and i'm like yeah but i don't want to just wreck my shoes every time i go and they're like oh just get some like hill walking hiking boots so yeah you just instantly go online looking for specialist hiking boot shops because you don't if you don't know what you're looking for you don't end up with some crap and you want to yeah, go totally. to a shop that's got yeah, like yeah. customer reviews on it and you don't want to buy it from i don't know amazon or some big you you basically when you have knowledge of that, you want to like go looking for small, independent-run businesses because you're like you want to support them. Like the same reason most skaters want to support, you know, small independent shops or bigger independent shops because yeah, especially when it's a specialist shop. Like, because because Amazon's really good actually when you want to buy you know some dishwasher tablets, something cheap and fast. Yeah, you know, but I wouldn't buy a bike from Amazon definitely find the most specialist shop possible yeah and um, i've only got a few more questions about the shop and then i've got a ton of other stuff i want to ask you but you've recently started sponsoring people outside of the aggressive realm so is it two free skaters now that you're sponsoring there's a french a french guy and a guy based in london is uh, that right uh, or have i got that uh, wrong? Nic uh, nicola torelli is italian the guy, he's yeah, he's the guy based it, it, in London, but isn't there a London. French guy with like curly hair and glasses that you? Oh right, with? sorry, yeah, Tiago, yeah. yeah, Tiago, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the people watching might know him as Tiago Inline Skater. That's his uh, handle on YouTube. Yeah, but he's um, he he's a big deal in that in that scene. So I guess a lot of the viewers would be aggressive skaters, so they might not have heard of him. But he's he's got a lot of su subscribers on YouTube. And he's he just runs a really good YouTube channel. He's like really charismatic, and it's just he just he's making interesting videos, and it's all big wheel stuff. In fact, it's not all big wheel stuff. He's got videos where he's kind of trying out aggressive, and yeah, it's just really watchable. And he's just a he's a really cool guy, and we're just yeah we're working with him on on YouTube videos. He's been he's not done a lot of stuff recently because he's been. Uh, been doing a lot of college work so but he's he's back on the case and we're working on some stuff at the moment um yeah so tiago and then danny aldridge more recently um we just started working with danny 
Right. He is. Everyone. He's got very good, very good screen presence. Like you can. Yeah. He's one of these people that you can just instantly feel energy often when you see him on these like little videos that he just makes at home. Like he just seems so enthusiastic about everything that that's the kind of thing I would imagine younger kids when they look up Blade and stuff and they see that, that would like really appeal to them. Yeah. Well, there's something also about that scene, about the freestyle scene where the, the user base seems to want to learn more than the, the aggressive user base. So like what I mean by this, when you see the guys doing that stuff and uh, on Instagram and you see the, the comments below, you've done, sorry, I was going mental. You, you'll often see people kind of asking, oh, what skates is he riding? What wheels is he riding? And you don't see so much of that on the aggressive videos. You just see people kind of, you know, appreciating it. Um, and I, I feel like maybe in aggressive, like people know what they want more. Whereas like that big wheel scene, there's a lot of people getting into it who don't, who, who don't know where to turn to, for inspiration. Yeah. So it, it means that the guys who are like the influential skaters in that scene are really influential, you know? And Nico Torelli is just, yeah, like he's, yeah, he represents something to me, man. Like just like the modern way of, uh, promoting on Instagram like he's a really good Instagrammer as well as a really good skater and uh yeah there's something it's something I really like this it feels modern and um yeah it's been a long time coming sponsoring bigger wheel skaters I don't know why we haven't done it before we just haven't found the right person when when you say he's really good at like Instagramming and stuff like that what does what does that mean like what do you interpret that as because you get people that spam Instagram every day with content and sometimes it can be a very, it's a very big sliding scale. So when you say that yeah. he's good at it, what, what in your opinion makes him good at it? Well, clearly he knows what people want to see. He's posting, but well, also on YouTube as well. Like Nico, like he, he had a YouTube channel with, I think he, he, just, he only just started it. So he had like, this is a month ago. He had a thousand subscribers to his YouTube channel. And the second video he uploaded, I think had like 40,000 views. I think that's a really good way of judging how good someone's content is, is working out the ratio of their subscribers to the view count of videos, you know? Yeah. I think, I think, you, I think, I think a real YouTuber wouldn't necessarily judge their success on how many subscribers they've got. I think you'd look at wider across the board than that. Yeah. And I, yeah, whatever Nico's doing, it's appealing to people. And I can see why, because it, 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 it excites me. <laughs> it literally, like when I see those videos online, I just, I'm, I'm like, you know, it's, there's something really like high energy about it and whatever he's doing, he's, um, he's appealing to people. And yeah, he seems to be posting just about the right amount of content, uh, at the right quality and it's free skating, but it's a new style of free skating that just is like, it just looks cool. It's like it, on the level that aggressive is a bit more refined maybe as a, uh, you know, as a category of skating, I think people realize like about the, you know, doing tricks in a certain way and not everyone understands obviously, yeah. but you know, the, 
a number of people understand about you know making it look good and i think nico's really brought that to to free skating because after that obviously viral video with oh, i can't remember is his name jack tierney jack, jack tierney tierney yeah. it kind of felt like every skater in the world picked up a 360 camera and just started charging around urban streets trying to recreate that kind of and I'm like that's that's not yeah. the kind of thing you can recreate like that's that was mm. that was a fluke and there's an eye roll element when you see a 360 camera and someone skating around yeah there's something very done about that and but that's also what nico's doing and it, he's just doing it he's the in my eyes he's the one who's doing it well he's the one who's doing it really properly that's what i mean like because there's so many people doing it in order to stand out and to look impressive you have to be very much blazing your own path or doing something that no one else is doing or doing it in a way that no one else is doing so it kind of sounds like that's what you see in him yeah yeah and i definitely i i would definitely agree yeah the, the 360 camera thing like I've, I've seen enough of that now i get it there's a 360 camera it does a thing that moves like this you know you, you don't have you know i i prefer to see something that's uh filmed with more thoughts behind it than just like strapping a 360 camera to a selfie stick or whatever it is and shooting around but what yeah but what nico does is yeah there's something about it he, he just the way he uses it is is really is really good and there's something exciting about it right okay um I wanted to go back to the very start of the shop because when when you started local, you were really young and you were still, were you still sponsored by K2 and skating when you started the shop or did you decide to pack that in to start the shop? December 2001 was when, no, December 2004 and I was 21 right. when I started. That's and very I was, young to like start your own business. That must, that's like... I can't imagine many 21 year olds are going, you know what? I'm going to take on an absolute heap of responsibility. Yeah. It didn't, I don't think it felt young at the time. I mean, it felt like a heap of responsibility and it was, it was very, um, yeah, there was a lot of anxiety to kind of borrowing money like that and starting a thing and just the pressure. And it did, you know, it was the cliche of the business saying, oh, it's really hard work. You got to, you got to work for it, but we, you know, I did work for like several years, seven days a week, and um, and it was really, really difficult. And we probably didn't turn profit for five or six years. So yeah, that uh, <laughs> you said it never turned a profit for like the first five years. So how did you manage to keep it going? Because that was the impression I got from the outside as well that for quite a few years it was struggling. Uh, well, just cash flow, you know, you make it work with uh, supplier credit, you know, when you order stock, you get 30 days credit on it. And then we put, there were, we borrowed more money a few times. Um, but, but mainly also, uh, you know, just kind of breaking even as well. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't doing a massive loss or anything, Yeah. but just being really careful with the numbers. But yeah, but yeah, it didn't like properly, I don't think we got to a, a year of profit before, you know, five or six years down the line. Okay. So why did you decide to start the shop in the first place? Because mo that's not on most 21 well, year old radars. Yeah, sure. It's funny because I was thinking the other day about the 
about the occult stuff we did. Um, you're an old school head, you know about the occult clothing. I, I do, and that was another thing that surprised me because it seemed like you guys went from being like the outlaws of Rollerblading were like going for the very like close to the bone marketing strategies that you know James Aldred employed where he'd always have like he'd always just basically try and push it as far as he could in terms of being like borderline offensive basically to then starting a shop which is basically like going from like being the outlaw to being like the, the legitimate business if you know what I mean so it feels like yeah one, one's quite dangerous yeah, and, and then one's quite sensible well, I don't think we were always very professional at the beginning of Loco either, though. Right. I don't think it went straight from being like these outlaws to like a, a really professional, like, slick business. I mean, I remember the photo you stand with, with the, the Daily Sport girl or the, the whatever it was. What was that? There was oh, one, there was one where it was like you, you were posing with like a glamour model and she had, did she have a Loco shirt on or something? I can't remember. Oh, uh, was it? I think so. I did these shows in Birmingham, it was a national motorcycle show or something. And they had this, um, you know, like when you go to like a theme park and then you can go and watch a, a show with the motorbikes. And you know yeah. when the motorbikes go around the, the sphere? Very testosterone fields. And then like, there's motocross yeah. doing, yeah. And so they drafted me in because they wanted someone to, they, they had this show where they had the motocross riders doing the jump and then they had like this setup where they were battling the skaters on the jump box against the motocross riders. I say skaters, it was only one, it was just me. And Psycho Burn did it for the first week. And then I came in and did the second week. That sounds and, um, like a yeah. little bit sketchy going up against guys on like motor vehicles. Yeah, but it was a, it was a facade. They, they just went, they were just like, oh yeah, this guy did a, they like tried to make out that the tricks we were doing were the same. I don't know, I guess to the regular audience member, it like, they didn't realize that they just weren't the same tricks yeah. because also it was in, it was, it was, I guess it was 2005 or something like that. And it was before motocross, it was before they'd started doing like double backflips and stuff on motocross bikes. So all these guys were doing were like big old jumps and twisting the back of the bike and, and, and doing that sort of thing. And then they had me doing like a corkscrew 720 over the jump box and then a, and then like a backflip and then a flat spin 540. But I didn't really have those tricks down as like landing every time tricks, but I kind of told them what I did. So, so, and the crowds were like, it was like a thousand at a time, people watching. And it was all big lights and like they would announce on the microphone. And I was a character, it was like Mad Max themed. Oh God, and I was a right. character and I had, had like, and they had me dressed in like this stuff with like chains coming off of it. So I had to do like a corkscrew 720 with like a chain like flipping around and a spotlight on me. And, and they, I would stand at the, the top of the quarter pipe and I had a character name. My character name was Blades. And it goes, Blades! And uh, put the spotlight on and then I had to do my thing. But I did quite well considering I didn't, I probably had like consistency of about 50% landing flat spin 540s at the time. And I, I pretty much stuck all of them throughout the week. So, uh, I'd, I'd imagine the crowd wouldn't have minded like I'm, sh I'm sure they would have been just as hyped on the spills as they would have been if you landed it because they were like oh that like you know it's like the whole it's like the whole you've been framed kind of attempt to humor and they go oh god that guy just ate shit and then they'd all start applauding oh yeah the crowd the crowd probably didn't mind but the guy who was running the show oh, he was yeah. a real asshole 
And I think that's why I came in after Sae Coburn because Sae had like fallen over or something. <laughs> or like he couldn't, they were like, we need you to do a backflip. And Sae was like, that's just not one of my tricks. And uh, so they'd, they'd brought in someone who could do a backflip. <laughs> So that's that's how that photo opportunity. And yeah, up. so 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 yeah, it was, it was a motorcycle show. So there was loads okay. of glamour models, and I guess that's where that photo was from. That makes sense. I was probably twenty one, and so impressed by a glamour model. When I asked you about the start of the shop, you said you're old school. You'll remember a cult. What was what was what were you about to talk about then? What were you about to? Well, mention? we went to we went to Egypt. Um, <laughs> I was talking about this the other day. We so everyone's had the clothing company at some stage, right? And you kind of get some Gildan shirts and you, you put a print on it and you say I mean, you've got a clothing company. And you there can was tell one the point where the there was like 100 t-shirt companies in Bladen and it felt like a new one started, yeah, every other month. Yeah, yeah. right. So, yeah, every, every Tom, Dick and Harry's had, a, had a, a clothing company. But like for some reason, like we went, cause we went to Egypt to get the clothes made, but we were 18. It was me, Tom and Rob. And I'll tell you what it was. It was Tom and Rob had family somewhere in Cairo. And we'd gone... Right, Egyptian cotton is the best type of cotton. We're going to go to Egypt and we're going to go to the factories. We're going to do a factory tour in Egypt and make clothes. And we're going to make them cut and sew. You know, we're going to, going to tell them the exact measurements and we're going to find the materials that we want. So with three 18-year-olds show up in Cairo and start doing like the... We went around like a ton of factories and kind of sampled <laughs> clothes. I mean, I, I, like... I've been to Cairo and I get that they've got a massive textiles industry there, but I just don't understand. Like, how did how did you guys even manage to afford to all end up out there? Well, because um, because Tom and Rob had family there, so like there was some hookup, and the, his fa- their their family had like, I guess when you're in um, in a country like like Egypt, you kind of get a driver for the day, don't you? And it's quite cheap, and they'd like hooked up a driver, and his driver was driving us to these different factories, and. Um, but we stayed in a hotel. We didn't stay with their family, which was weird. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, we ended up getting, I've got the shirt. I found it in my cupboards a, a couple of days ago when I was talking about it. And um, yeah, the, the clothing we ended up getting, <laughs> it was like, you probably remember the tops. They were like a big tent. They were like yeah. straight down because we'd done a cut, cut and sew and we'd given them the measurements. And we were like 18 with a tape measure, just not, you know, we're not tailors. And uh We'd just given them the wrong measurements, and they just uh, and they didn't have any kind of elastic on the on the hems or anything like that. So it was just a big old tent with a logo on it that we'd gone to Egypt to make like fifty of. It's so weird. But anyway, that was my first business venture. Right. Um, so I just, and that that didn't put you off for life. <laughs> well, it was fine. It was it was a good experience. It was quite funny, but it was just weird that that happened. It's just yeah, reminiscing on that the other day. So yeah, I'd already done all that stuff with um, OCC, as illegitimate as it probably was at the time. But yeah, and then Loco at 21. Um, so yeah, it was quite daunting, but yeah, those were, yeah, those were the days. I'm aware of a ton of mistakes I've made over the years with people saying that if I could go back, I'd be like, oh God, I would, that would have saved me so much heartache or money or whatever. Were there any like colossal mistakes in those first like few years where you were just like, holy sh- like what, why did I think that was a yes. good idea? So many, so many. I, I, man, yeah. You should have pitched that question to me a couple of days ago and I could have 
spent two days coming up with all the stupid mistakes that we've made over the years. But that's part of running the business, isn't it? Like lots and lots of mistakes and just learning from those mistakes. And like, I guess you've got a budget for those mistakes at the beginning of, of you know, the period. I think if I was to sit here today on January the 10th and go, all right, this next year coming up, I'm definitely going to make a ton of really costly mistakes. But as long as I understand that now, that I'm going to lose, you know, £50,000 unnecessarily on just shit that didn't need to happen. When it does happen and I do lose that money, I at least would have like come to terms with that first, you know, at, at the beginning. <laughs> because every year you do, you do, you make money and you lose money. That's what happens as a business. Yes. Yeah. But I do remember uh, specifically actually us running a um, Unity Magazine uh, advert, which I designed myself. And at the time was not uh, was not very a fay with Photoshop, um, so yeah, that's that sticks in my memory as a real faux pas, and I I think I found that magazine more recently, and it's just a horrendous horrendous piece of graphic design. Well, in fairness to you, when you look through Unity throughout all oh, yeah, the ages, it didn't, it didn't stand out. <laughs> a lot, yeah, a lot of the adverts were. I mean, some of the shop adverts couldn't spell any of the brand names correctly. So, you know, I I think I think a poorly yeah. photoshopped one was probably you know in in the upper echelon of some of those designs. Have I just gone off? My camera gone off? You've just gone blank on me. Um, yeah, hold on. Yeah, two two seconds. It's, it's working again now. I'm just going to switch over. Is it okay? Um, so that that's one of the ones that stands out. I would have thought there'd have been much more dramatic ones than that because I'm. I managed to rack up a bill of close to a thousand pounds on international shipping once that I, I just couldn't believe. There's, there's, there's got to be some major Dude, mistakes well, you've made. Up, yeah, I mean, I, that one stuck stuck out as one in the first few years, but more recently, when there's been more money going through the business, there's more opportunity to fuck up. You know, so I mean, I sent five thousand dollars last year to uh, just a fraud, like a scam. I just sent someone five thousand dollars, thinking it was a factory. And I, they, they'd like infiltrated my emails. And I would usually consider myself to be someone who's switched on enough not to be kind of um, a victim of a scam like that. But it was really techers. Like they've gone really deeply. They kind of they kind of intercept your email and then edit it and then send it on to the, the recipient. So I'd um, yeah, that was yeah, that was that was like five thousand US dollars. I think that was last year. It's just gone like that. And then. I mean, that stock system thing I was talking about earlier with the web, website company who, um, and they never finished a website. I had to get the guy in Vietnam. That's how I found, found the guy in Vietnam. I had to get him to finish a website. You know, they charged, you know, 12,000 pounds for the website, which they never finished. And then the stock system charged me 8,000 pounds just to start and then another 8,000 pounds for the annual fee. And that's running alongside another stock system that's charging me 7,000 pounds as well. So, I mean, that stock system was £16,000 and we used it for three months. And then we decided we didn't like it. We got rid of it. Yeah, that's brutal. So that year, so that year where we made the loss, we made about, about £40,000 loss. Which, um, but yeah, you can, you can swallow that because you've got a lot of stock. So as long as you've got stock and cash flow, like you're not, you know, you're a bit safe. So... So we swallowed it and then because we've built the infrastructure, it paid off and the next year is good. And then this year has been really good. So. 
did you just change a setting there? Because your microphone's changed, the sound of it's changed. What were you? Yeah, it's, probably, it's probably just all the technical. Oh, is it? Is it? Does it sound better? Uh, it sounds like I want to say muffled or mute. Like you can still hear you, but it, the, the sound quality sounds different for some reason. Or maybe I'm just imagining. I don't know. Is that is that working? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm imagining. It. Um, last question about the shop. Where where did the name come from? Where where did you come up with that? Well, I like to tell people, um, and I'm not. I don't know whether this is like something that's uh, I've fabricated in my mind over the years, but I like to tell people that the word loco looks like a skate, and. Uh, You've definitely fabricated why. that over the years. So why don't you just tell me the the real uh, <laughs> the real um, origin of the the name? Well, I don't know. Thinking of a name is, I mean, it's just a name, isn't it? It doesn't mean anything. Like thinking of a name is a really difficult thing. And whatever name you think of, it's going to sound stupid for the first few days that you say it. And then once that becomes its name, like anyone's name, I mean, what does what does Jake mean? What does David mean? You know what I mean? It's just a bunch of letters put together. <laughs> it's a word. Now I know you as David. I know, I know that, that that means something to me, man. I, it's not stupid at all. Same thing. But yeah, yeah I'm going to say it looks like escape, you know, the word, because that sounds cool. Okay. And over the years, have you ever like thought, shit, I wish I'd called it like this instead? Or have you ever just sat there one day and had a light bulb moment and went, oh, that'd have been a really cool name. Wish I'd went with yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't like Loco for a really long time. Um, and I wish I'd called it all four down. I don't know why I had that in my head. I wanted to call it all four down. And then I thought, no, actually, it's probably not as good because it's uh, probably harder to spell for a website URL. Like you don't know if it's got a number four or F O U R. It's longer. Loco's good because it's short and it's got the word skates in it, which is probably good for Google. That says true. Yeah, you're right. Loco skate, you know. Yeah, punchy. word loco skates has got skates in. Also, it's one of those. It's one of those names that's like easy. It's hard to misinterpret. So whenever someone asks me, like, "Oh, what's it called?" and I go, "Wheel scene," they're like, "What?" and you have to like enunciate very clearly. Or they're yeah, dude, it's such a big thing, man. Like, I think wheel scene. I guess yeah. I guess it's quite yeah. I guess phonetically, it's quite. It's not very defined, is it, as a word? And we had the same, but I think it's fine. It, well, it's, but we it's had not same... even what, what it was meant to be called. The, the reason it ended up being that is because someone misheard me and I, I went with their miss here. I like it. But we have the same with goods, the shop, uh, the lifestyle shop, goods. It's called goods. Every time, like, every time someone asks you what your shop's called and you say goods, they always say, what? <laughs> every single time. Always have to repeat it because it's too quick. Like, yeah. it needs, that's, that's the thing about a name. It needs to be uh, more than one syllable probably. Or at least it needs to be like defined in its in its phonetics. Yeah, it's it's these things that you don't think of until you. I always think of it as like see when you listen to a record or a band and you're like God, I'm really into this, and then you let someone else listen to it when you're in their presence, and then suddenly you're yeah. transformed into like what their <laughs> experience of it is, and you're like shit, this sounds yeah. kind of lame, and yeah, yeah. Like, you're sitting in there going, I've just had the best idea ever, and then you've repeated it in your head so many times that you've convinced yourself it's great. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. then you hear you hear someone else say it, or you hear yourself saying it to someone else, and you're like, shit, that sounds bad. 
Yeah, oh, no, totally, man. You should always sleep on those things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, but we thought we were being clever, good, because you know, it's like it's eco themed. You know, it's like eco conscious as a shop. So we were like, oh, these things are like good, like good for the environment, but they're also like goods, you know. Yeah, like, like mul- multiple like, meanings. Yeah, fright. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, don't know. We're gonna change. We're gonna we're gonna rebrand at some point <laughs> in the next few months. Right. Okay. Um, so aside from running local and the quad shop and goods, you've also got two brands. So you've got Go Project and more recently you've got Revolver. So I know that previously you'd worked together with Undercover to do, you did the wheel for Sam, Sam Tufnell. Was that right? Yeah. 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 The T1000 years years ago. Wheel. Yeah. That you tried yeah, to yeah, convince we- everyone that you tried to convince everyone it skated as good as a, as a, an og cosmo wheel and i was like i'm not buying this it was a Um, good wheel though but can i give you can i give you an exclusive live on because we were going to make a youtube video about this but we never got around to it right i think i'll give you an exclusive live on the on the podcast do you remember the uh the tough wheel viral video where we set the speed camera off yeah where he had the high vis on and oh and it ended up in the was it local newspaper or radio or something and then people were pissed off national news saying you were reckless and and, and yeah yeah so we um the next day well, a couple of days after yeah every every newspaper daily mail the sun the telegraph everything like i've got a stack of newspapers with the with the story and then like a bunch of news programs a bunch of radio programs it was properly viral and I mean, uh, that was the intention like you obviously that's what you wanted to happen but it's simone who was behind it so it seems like a genius at making viral videos it's just like third one he's done which that's gone properly viral but yeah the exclusive is it was completely fake like we, we didn't set up a speed camera in the slightest we just it's obviously just a flash yeah obviously just <laughs> we obviously just got a slave flash and just set it off because we we went there to set off the speed camera we were like do you reckon you could set up a speed camera on a pair of skates and then when we got there we were like well don't really look like you're going fast enough to be honest and like you're not probably not big enough to set it off like and then this whole thing with the with the high vis vest and all that sort of thing, and um, but we you know we planned for not setting it off. We were like, yeah, if we don't set the speed camera off, we're just going to fake setting the speed camera. Off. So we just had like a slave flash, flashed it twice. But I can't believe we got away with that so easily because no one even called it out. Like there's, there was like one, co- there's like you know thousands of comments because it was a viral video. Yeah, and. Uh, there was actually like one person in the comments went, yeah, I reckon they fake that. And everyone, everyone else was just like, oh, wow, I can't believe you set the speed camera off. But the thing that works... Surely in- you can't set a speed camera off on escape. Surely, I don't know, maybe they work in different ways. But Yeah, I wouldn't imagine. So I'd imagine there has to be certain criteria before the camera takes a photo. Well, everyone seemed to think that you could. But <laughs> because everyone there's... fell for it, including every national newspaper in the uk the beauty of that video is there's no way to verify it because it's not like they can contact you know the local authority and get that information because they'll be like no we're not giving that to you like that's no yeah, yeah. so so yeah so we faked it and we were going to make it like a little documentary thing about like how we faked it and everything and then like have all the clips from the news and stuff but we never got around to that so there you have it that's pretty funny it's not real so yeah you obviously did the wheel collaboration undercover and then what made you decide because 
Go Project have released various things. They've released bearings, wheels, you know, footbeds. The footbeds were not good. I'm telling you that right now. They had zero energy transfer. Um, those gel footbeds were, your foot just sunk into those things. But the other yeah, stuff I I've used, think- the, the bearings and wheels were good. Yeah, I don't think the I don't think the footbeds were our best product. I'd probably agree with that. Um, and we only did one run, and then we, we discontinued it because, to be honest, some of the guys here thought that they were good actually, and I I didn't think they were that good. They were, I mean, they were a footbed, but they didn't they weren't you know they weren't changing anyone's life. I don't think. But yeah, we don't don't do those anymore. What was what was the inspiration behind starting the brand? Because obviously, as someone that runs a shop, you know what the profit margins are. You know, you know how it works in terms of going from the factory to you know the the various stages and various like processes involved. So, what made you decide that you wanted to like strike out and do that on your own? I think it was just at the time there was very few bearings available on the market. And we were struggling getting hold of bearings. Um, I think I was just looking at the page on the website of Loco, the bearings page, and it was just like a, there was only a few a few sets available. So, and it's just a no brainer, really, isn't it? If you've got access, you know, if you can design a box, and if you've got access to a factory that can make good bearings, then it's not it's not the most difficult project. I mean, it's a pain in the ass to make that sort of stuff and get it imported and all the things you've got to do with designs and testing and all that stuff. But yeah, it's not, it's not the most difficult thing. And yeah, like you say, the margin, it, if you can sell your own product, then it works really well for margins. Um, but also you can sell to other shops as well and just have it as a legitimate premium aftermarket brand. And yeah. But it was also quite unique from the standpoint that I remember when the Bairns came out for like Richie, Gav, and Dom. That was it, wasn't it? Those were the three. Richie, Gav, Dom, yeah. 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 And I remember you saying that instead of it wasn't like royalties, they just got paid up front, which, you know, I've heard of so many endorsement deals and blading over the years where people can get as little as, you know, like $1.50 per set of skates sold, which is just fucking ludicrous but that seemed like quite a refreshing idea for the blading industry where they didn't have to wait on those to sell they just got money like straight away yeah because because why not because yeah i think i think at the time there was a lot of people getting a really raw deal on pro products and like you say particularly on skates yeah i've heard this this same kind of these same figures you know this kind of one dollar fifty two dollars for a set of skates which is just kind of outrageous if you think about it i mean it is what it is that like if a skater agrees to it then I mean, that's what it is oh but, yeah they, they have they also have it can't just be the company's responsibility the skater has, has to take yeah. ownership of that yeah uh, yeah that's a whole that's a whole different conversation because yeah i mean we could talk about that for, for quite a while because there's quite a lot of talk isn't there in in blading about companies mistreating skaters, but it is also the skaters' responsibility to, to you know, agree to a good deal and we are going to talk to that. I'm going to get to that. Right. Maybe not okay. with specific examples, but I'm going to get to that. But I'm just no, curious I'm really... from from yeah. your perspective because that's not that's not the only time I've heard of you doing that as well. Like since then, I've heard of other examples. So 
I was just curious to know what your thought process was behind that. Well, yeah, I just don't see why if I'm going to pay for a bunch of stock up front and I'm going to buy like a ton of bearings, like it's just a, it's a bit of a drop in the ocean, isn't it, to, to give the royalties to the skater. I've paid for the bearings up front. Why would I not just give the royalties to the skater up front? What's, what's the worst that could happen? And in, in a way, like I almost think, why wait until they've all sold? You've already put their name on a bearing. You've already agreed that you're going to have a deal. I mean, are you really expecting like to only ever sell half those bearings and then only ever pay the skater half the royalties? That's never going to happen. They're always eventually going to sell, aren't they? Yeah. So it's like, why would you not just pay them? And it's not like loads and loads of money because it's just a bearing, you know, it's, and the royalties were good percentage wise on the bends, but you know, it's, it's not like a massive run and it's not like a massive payment. So, you know, make, if, if you can help the skater out, you know, ahead of time without you know, making them wait for it, why wouldn't you? Um, because that is one of the things I've always liked, that you always seem to kind of challenge the status quo when it comes to blading, or you see things that don't work in blading and you try to address it. And the other example I can think of is with competition prizes, because even even running wheel scene, like I... What what could I possibly have to give as prizes? I've got like a spare bedroom with a couple of boxes of stock, and yeah. yet every month I get hit up saying, "Oh, can you sponsor me? Or can you send me this? Or can you know? Can you give us like prizes for three categories in a competition?" And I'm like, if I literally just supplied this for like two events, I'd have no stock left. But yet yeah. you saw a way around that, or looked to find a way to address it that benefited the event without you know completely robbing you of stock from the shop yeah well i think the thing about contest prizes and uh skating is that people are going through the motions aren't they they're just kind of people make an event and the first thing you do when you make an event is go let's approach a company and ask them if they want to give prizes and i don't think it got to the stage where i don't think people were thinking that much about you know how much promotion is that company really getting you know from having their logo on a poster and what is the what are the skaters who are winning those prizes really getting as well like you, what you give someone like a t-shirt that doesn't fit or like a, an old set of wheels from the back of your warehouse that have faded like it's like it's a raw deal really on both sides you know that it's just didn't seem to make any sense. So what you're referring to is a uh, licked contest. And I've got to try and, because of coronavirus has, um, coronavirus has ruined licked contest. <laughs> I, I don't know if you noticed, but like nothing has been going on because there's been no events. Yeah. But the, um, the theory behind licked contest was, do you remember? I'm trying to think what it is now. Um, <sighs> you, you qualify. Yeah. So what we do, instead of giving, that's right, instead of giving prizes to a contest, you you run, when a contest happens, they run a side event, which is the LICT best, L-I-C-T. What does it stand for? The loco? Something creative trick, wasn't it? <laughs> Actually, even I don't remember because yeah, it was, it's it been was, coronavirus. It was, it was and we something to do with, I remember it was something to do with creativity. Loco international creative trick contest yeah so you run a side event 
um, and see who does the most creative trick. And whoever wins that side event then qualifies through to the final round. Um, and then, um, yeah, that final round is a video contest, which has got a prize, a prize money. I think it was a thousand pounds for the best video. I remember it ending up and being a cash prize, yeah. But it's it, a cash prize of a thousand pounds, I think. Yeah. After the back on the Instagram post. But it was something that meant in return you got media content or you could attach. Oh, that's right. The and, shop and to so, media so yeah. So what it is is so a lot of people run in the events. It's difficult for them to promote the event because they might not have a very big platform to promote the event on. So by running a lit contest, we'll obviously promote it through local. So they're their event gets the reach that Loco's Instagram has. So more people turn up to the event. I guess it's a, it's a win-win situation. Yeah, def- well, yeah, in theory, definitely. Um, but then on top of Go Project and doing that, you also started Revolver Wheels. Now, I know that you've said that it was basically a cut-out-the-middleman company, and you were like, we're not distributing this to other shops. We're just going to sell it directly. It means, you know... There's better margins means you know you've got more disposable income afterwards to do stuff with it i'm guess the question i was wondering is why didn't you just choose to go that route with go project and just go we're no longer going to distribute these to other shops because i know that you know they were available for sale in the states and europe and through i think they were even through i thought it was a bit strange that randomly uh vibralux were selling them on their online shop as well that was kind of I just remember yeah, thinking we had seen that on their shop. Well, yeah, we just yeah, but they they just sell a few products, don't they, as well as the Vibalux stuff. So I think they send their solar frames and a few a few bits and bobs. But okay. yeah, it's a good question. Um, just because, like, there's a ton of reasons, but just because sometimes if you run a wheel company, it's a well, it's a bit of a pain in the ass, and sometimes. I think I felt like with Go Project, I really like the urethane on those wheels. So I wanted to keep that urethane, but in, in the same, at the same time, I wanted to, to start over and have something brand new with brand new urethane. So for everyone that, because you always see like a Facebook thread, don't you? That is people say, you know, every, every couple of weeks, there'll be a Facebook thread on one of the groups that says, oh, what wheels do people like? And then there'll be a hundred comments. And people will say, you know, every other comment is different. Every single person is saying, oh, I like these wheels. I like those wheels. Like it's like basically a hundred different people recommending a different wheel every time. And then you'll also get on the same comment thread, just people saying, oh, well, I think these wheels are the worst. Like these are, the, these are trash. These are the absolute worst wheels. So like there'll be one comment that says, these are the best wheels ever. And there's a comment below, it'll be like, these are the worst wheels ever. And it'll be yeah. the same wheel. Yeah. And we were getting that sort of thing. It was like quite frustrating with Go Project because, I get, and I guess every single person who runs a wheel company gets this. But like, I mean, my experience with Go Project has been that they've been just like amazing wheels nonstop. But then you get the odd person that will, you know, post on Facebook like, "Yeah, these are the worst wheels ever," and it's just like it's just mind-boggling. Like, well, what's what did you do? Like, that's not what I experienced, and. I guess you take. I guess you could like, take it personally, and in a way, I I was almost like just ah fuck it, Let's just rebrand and do another wheel company because I guess in my mind I want everything like with Loco like everything like is 
runs perfectly. Like we have quite a good reputation. We don't get a lot of people saying bad things. I don't think. No. With a wheel company, you're much more open to criticism, I guess, because it's like very subjective. And I guess you get different people with different weights and in different Plus, climates. And if, if any, if any aspect of the skate is going to fail, you know, the wheels are pretty much in the firing line every time because they're the ones that it's the aspect of the skate that takes the most pressure, the most punishment. It's the one that's in contact with the concrete. And then, yeah, like you say, you can have like a 17 stone guy skating anti-rocker on a set of four wheels. Yeah. Something bad's going to happen. Like, Yeah. And the other thing was actually we had so many fuck ups as well with the factory um, and go project. So like when the wheels were good, they were really good. But then the second batch, this like infamous second batch of broken uh, clear, hubs. was that the clear core ones? Yeah, um, was no, it something white, like that? Or white core, white no, core. Yeah, they had white core, and um, and we got them, and we must have sold them for a week or two, and then and we sold some out to um, Oak City in the states as well. We sold like quite a few sets to those guys, and then they started coming back broken. They were a forty batch, and. Uh, still every so often and we took them off the market after like two weeks so like how many sets of these wheels that like really could have got out there but still to this day people you know email with like a set of these and you can tell they're the ones because they got the white core on yeah and they'll be like yeah i've got these wheels and uh and this is like five years ago now and you know they'll, they'll email us they'll, yeah got these these wheels and they're broken and then you run the risk of like someone just posting that on facebook and people on Facebook don't realize that that's a faulty batch from five years ago. They just think that, you know, it's, uh, it's not a good wheel. And it's, yeah. Those sorts of things are pretty damaging. Anyway, they, they, all sorts of stuff like that. And we, I'd say we've probably done a pretty hefty loss on Go Project as well, just because of how many fuck ups there were. Like they, they'll print the wrong things on the wheels and then we'll have to send them back and get the wheels, like get the design taken off and, and another design, <laughs> design put on. And then, they sent like two batches, which were just uh, flat spot in straight away, but they never got onto the market. We managed to like, identify that before they, they came out. So that was lucky, but still you have to pay because f- most of the cost of making wheels is, is shipping them and import taxes. Yeah. So, um, so they replace them for free, but like half your cost is still gone. So yeah, I just wanted to like start clean with Revolver. Okay. And, but I still wanted to run Go Project because like, I mean, yeah, because you you released is really good. Yeah, and you released the Leon wheel around in the same time frame as releasing the first mm. range of revolver wheels. Yeah, and um, and yeah, I tried the revolver wheels. They were good. They did their job. And again, those sold rapidly. Like you get, like you still don't have stock back of the the aggressive. Well, that's a coronavirus. Yeah, that's another coronavirus thing. Is um, and it's a real shame actually because yeah, it was really they really sold rapidly. We did, um, I think we did 200 sets in the first couple of days of those. And then we ran out of, we started running our 60th off. Sizes we run out now. So, um, but we've not been able to get the stock coronavirus. Right. It's coming. It's, it's about a month away still. Um, and over the years, you guys have also released a bunch of skates. So you had, you had the Valo TV one, was it called Local Dice or something like that? Local... What was it called? Oh yeah, look. That's the one. 
It's disgusting. The one that was isn't that the worst skate you've ever seen? I'm, I had a set, and yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, I went I went off the color scheme really quickly. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not great. It was meant to. Was it meant to replicate like the color scheme of the 250cc or something like that? Was was no, uh, or was no. It's just... interesting you say that. Yeah, that's that's the, that's a decent point. You'd think it would be a nod to the to the 250, wouldn't you? Year old like K2, K2 days. No, I think I just wanted to make something that stood out because if you're going to make a collab skate like that, then I think my view at the time was don't make it boring. Right. But actually, now I would, I would probably go the other way. So you made that. Then you had the white, I guess, they were, well, they were both Majestics, but I think one was a Valo V13 and one was a Majestic 12. Is that right? We did a, well, we, we did a Valo Loco with a gold buckle. Yeah. I remember that and then there was it was one it was after a v13 wasn't it i mean they're both majestic it wasn't it wasn't proper though the, the the that wasn't the proper collab skate really because we did the, the v13 and all we did was i think they brought out a white skate and at the same time we just ordered white skates but with gold buckles and then like stuck a sticker on the back okay. of skates. so it wasn't like a it wasn't really the real deal that i don't think i can claim that and All then right. more recently, we've done the Roasted Loco in the last couple of months. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. And then there's obviously most recently the Aeon collab, which, yeah, you know, yeah, people are raving about. If, because you've like came out with these, I guess the logical question most people would want to know is, why have you not decided to just jump in and start your own skate brand? Because you've clearly, like, you're clearly like dipping your toe into that. Yeah, I mean, I've tried. Like, it has that. It, it's I've, there's a file on my computer called like Jake's Skate. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's literally a file on my computer called you know Loco, like Loco Boot. It's called, and um, yeah, we sampled a few different things and we tried, try half tried, but not fully tried. Half so tried. it's not happened yet. There's been right. a few ideas and we were talking to a couple of different other companies about it as well. There was, a, I mean, there was, we, I talked with stateside skate in the UK. Okay. So they're a company that make like budget. I, yeah. I remember stateside because you know? Tom, oh, Tom, someone used to work for Tom them. Willocks. That's the one. Tom Willocks. Yeah. Um, yeah. But stateside, they make that uh, out. What's it called? Like the anarchy. So they're really shit. Yeah. Sorry. But, <laughs> sorry state but they know it is what it is yeah but they know and that's why we we were talking because they were like well look obviously we've got these old skates you know we've been running these for years and um they had this idea that they they might want to produce something new but that never really yeah it didn't happen in the end for are stateside still in business yeah they do loads of stuff but they do i mean they're a massive company they do like longboards and yeah. skateboards I they thought did they enough did that. skateboards I just, I just didn't realize they did any yeah. skates or anything anymore yeah yeah they do the old recreational skate and they do they do a really good range of quad skates but yeah the aggressive range isn't isn't great and we wondered whether we could like kind of develop something with their kind of uh, manufacturing expertise uh, but no, it didn't didn't happen that would it, it's something that might happen in the future but who knows it's yeah. a time thing I mean, that's not too much of a leap from what John Julio did, essentially with getting an open mold that there was nothing wrong with it. It was just 
the company that used it previously didn't use it well or didn't exactly. or yeah. didn't have the right vision whereas he took it just added a couple of better elements to it gave it a better marketing scheme and job done you've got a new skate yeah so, yeah totally man i mean that was a similar thing like they had this old mold at stateside which was i think it, they called it like alchemist or something like it was like supposed to be the next one after the anarchy like with the higher end one and it was a horrible like bulky big thing but they had this idea that you could um you could just downsize because they they'd made it this size because they put a big old fat liner in it but that you could just downsize and put a thinner liner in and it it was like a solomon looking mold so we tried that for a bit but yeah just wasn't quite right you know you don't you don't want to make anything bougie do you, you want to make something premium so i haven't found the right mold okay yeah because there were a lot of brands around about that era when you looked in unity magazine and stuff like that and you would see like salomon st8 knockoffs essentially and it was like oh god if they just not screwed up that element you know like it, it basically yeah. looked like a salmon you're like well that could work but they screwed up the soul plate or they made it just a little bit too you know obnoxious looking and you're like if you just toned that down maybe a little bit it could have been yeah it could have slipped yeah so or if it wasn't actually competing with i tell you what's a good mold market yeah i tell you there's a good mold um i've got it in the room next door actually is it were they sabotage is that what it was called i get i get mixed up with is ultra wheels and sabotage the same thing ultra the sabotage. i'm not talking about the them yeah, no, Ultra Wheels was the name of the brand. Sabotage was the name of the model. And it's so, the one with the three, the like little, and it, there was a green, but do you remember there was a yeah. bright green one? Yeah, we have 45 degree strap. Yeah. 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 So that, I've got one in the room next door, is a good mold. But I don't know who makes it. But you could do something with that. I've probably just given somebody an idea. So, uh, <laughs> Next, you, you, you've I mean, given them, you've given them an else. idea and an eternal headache because, yeah, it seems just from the kind of like snippets that you hear from John about his interactions with Chinese factories, it seems like it's intense. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult, man, and um, it's a really difficult thing to do. And what John did was actually, I mean, I'm yeah, super impressed at the nine oh nine boot. And the fact that that just came out of nowhere, the fact that he started with the 908 and it was just an open mold that, you know, they'd made, but it's actually a really good skate. It's just, you know, the funny lace eyelets probably weren't ideal and I'm sure they, you know, they, they wouldn't have wanted that, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm just super impressed that he managed to like actually pull off a, a whole new boot mold that quickly, which is, I think the best aggressive skate. I yeah. think it's the best, but for me, it's well. That's what I always and a find. new boot and skate around. Yeah, well, it, the nine oh nine is just it's a logical <laughs> pro progression from the nine oh eight. It's got the same, it's got very similar dimensions. It just doesn't have, like you said, the problematic lacing system that was really aesthetically unattractive. And then another issue I had with the nine oh eight was I kept snapping the buckles because it didn't have enough protection, so they beefed up the protection. But with right. things like the cuff, I can't yeah. even tell the difference between a 908 and a 909 when I skate them with the cuff down, no. like rocket. I, I did the that. Rocket so cuff I thing. I, I don't know if you saw. Yeah, the um, the I did a video actually where I had one on one foot and one on the other foot, 
and um, I had one of the U1 skates, which is the one with the, the 908 with the skin. Yeah, I've got that, yeah. The top. And then they had a 909 on the other foot. And I was trying to tell the difference between them, actually. It was very hard to, you know, I couldn't, like, Mummy and fear when I, yeah. I mean, I didn't really skate them. When I got the 909, yeah. I was but, like, but, yeah, that's anyway, a so cuff. The, that's, yeah. But you can't, I couldn't, my body couldn't really. tell the difference. But the fact it looks like it, I mean, if anything, I mean, if it skates the same as the 908, it's really good because the 908 yeah. skates really good. It doesn't matter if it's an old mold. It's amazing. It's got a raised heel. It, like, it's perfect fit. It works amazingly with the intuition liners. But just the fact that the 909 is just better looking and it's just a mold from scratch. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's the skate for me, man. Um, I yeah, like them. They overcome the main issue, which was the fact that it was it, they needed to make it look visually more appealing. Um, but it is quite funny when people reference the fact that the 908 used to be a different skate for a different brand because you're like, there's nothing to say there was anything wrong with that original, the old skate, the the old brand. No, but it just looks like a budget skate. Does that was yeah, the it, issue? Was it, no, it, it, it just it had, looks like an old school budget skate. Yeah, it had a marketing crisis. The original brand, had a, the the original brand weren't cool. So, like, say if USD had picked up that mold and used it originally, everyone would be celebrating it and saying, "Oh God, that was that classic USD mold. That's great." But because it was picked yeah, up yeah. by a brand that just didn't happen to have a good rep, yeah. the. I didn't know anyone that skated the original skate, so I don't know if it was crap or not, you know? So no, no, exactly. there's no way to tell. Um, yeah. you, you're in a very unique position in that you were sponsored when you were younger. You were in magazines and stuff. You had the pro frame with K2, which was just random as hell. Then you're a shop owner, and now you're Do you mean pro skate? Did we, decide, did we decide whether it was a pro? <laughs> Are you still right? Because... By you're, definition, you're clinging to this. You're going to call it, always, it a pro skate. <laughs> um, no, it was a pro frame, which was really random because, it, but it only came with the skate. It came stock on a K2 skate in Europe. It didn't come in, in the States. But yeah, I think I wonder whether that was K2's way around uh, royalty payments or something. Did, <laughs> did the frame have your name on it? Yeah, this frame had my name on it, but it came on a K2, like fatty or I don't know, was it fatty or natural or something like that? And um, so essentially, like the whole package was a skate with my name on it, but it wasn't called a pro skate, it was just called a pro. They were like, Oh, this is the new K2 with Jake's pro frame on it. You could so, have just called it a pro skate and be done with it, couldn't they? And then I would have reveled in the glory of having a pro skate for the rest of the time. No one else on K2 had even had a pro skate by that point, so that would be really random to give it to like a UK yeah. guy when they had well, they had they literally had people like Matt Mance, Ryan DeClone, <laughs> like Louis Zamora, like they had like the Yasutokos, and then they get if they just gave the Jakey Lee. <laughs> those guys in the states would be like, "What the fuck? <laughs> Who the fuck is that guy?" But you know, um, yeah, it's funny, but. The, there was somebody in the like my doppelganger in the in the states. I can't remember who it was. Ryan Dawes or something like that. Is Ryan Dawes is that a person who was working for KT at the time? The name rings a bell. I might have said the wrong name. I don't know, but um, there was someone in the states who had the USA version, so he had his name on it, and then I had the European version. Um, but yeah, apparently you apparently it turns out you could buy the frames as an aftermarket 
for that. I was about to say, because I'm sure I've seen them on their own in packaging and like clear right, plastic. because packaging. I posted it because I, yeah, I, I randomly, um, someone found them in a shop in Brighton, you know, some random, uh, you know, juggling shop in Brighton called Oddballs. And they had two sets of my pro phones. This is a few, like, this is like three years back. Right. And someone had gone into Oddballs and they had, had some Jake Ely Pro K2 phones in like bubble packaging. And um, I think they'd said like, oh, how much for those phones? And they'd been like, yeah, we do your deal on these 50 quid. Eyes <laughs> up. I'll give you 20. Piss off. Just let me take them off your hands. Well, I wanted to go in there and, um, and you know, see if I could kind of haggle with them down, you know, just for the, the comedy value of buying my own frames and seeing if I could, you know, Oh, I, but thought I, would said, have got the I thought you said you were going to walk in and play, you know, like Billy Big Bollocks and be like, that's, that's me. Give me those. Whip out the ID. Jake Ely, Jake Ely, Jake Ely, Jake Ely. Um, yeah. So no, I don't, I'm, how, how I'm sure they've still got them as well. How did that even Frozen. come about though? Like how did, how did you end, did they approach you about it or did you have anything to do with like, because I had a design on the side of it. 